Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm glad to see each of you here this morning. But I have a, a question for you as we begin. And that question is, why are you here? Why are you here this morning? And what are your goals in particular for while you are here? To provide some context to this question, let's make sure we're all on the same page as we talk about church. Our church, it has this building. We own this building. But this building is not our church. The church is not a building. The church is also not a mere social network. The, the word church in the New Testament is ecclesia, which means a gathering of citizens called out into a public space, or more simply, an assembly. The way the word is used biblically shows that the church is the gathered people of God. So despite the church's often humble appearance, it's actually a supernatural entity. It's supernatural because it's, it's those who've been called out from the world into a relationship with God and other believers by faith in Jesus Christ. So biblically, church always refers to people, not just people who show up at a particular event or service, but it's, it's people who have been born again and know Christ. And so when believers talk about church, we're talking about our spiritual family. Hebrews 10, which we just read, it comes near the end of 10 chapters of incredible theology, explaining that because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we can now draw near to God through faith in Jesus. This was revolutionary then. It's, it's revolutionary now that we can boldly come into God's presence. But what's the very first thing the author commands believers to do after highlighting this incredible relationship that we can have with God through Christ? This is verses 24 through 25 where we get the answer. He says, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The first thing the author emphasizes after commanding believers to hold fast to Christ is to consider how to help other believers grow spiritually. This means that one of the primary ways that you hold fast to Christ is by seeking to help others grow in Christ. Do you see that? And what is the, the first thing the author connects with seeking the spiritual growth of others? Well, he commands believers not to neglect gathering together. The word gather together here is more than an informal gathering of Christians. It refers to corporate worship, to the formal worship of believers together. I want you to notice two things then about this command in verse 25. The first is that it's a command. It's not a, a suggestion. It's not optional. God commands believers to prioritize gathering together to worship. Now, of course, everyone is going to, to miss at times gathering for church. But what the author says is that this should never become a habit. Under normal circumstances, that should never be a, a habit or a pattern for believers and he seems to imply that this was the habit of those who are walking away from Christ that are addressed in the book of Hebrews. The second thing to notice is that this commitment to gather with God's people, it doesn't decrease as you mature. It actually increases the more confident you are that Christ is actually going to return. He says, encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return. So God, he commands believers to prioritize church to prioritize gathering as a body of believers to worship him. And God has clear goals for this gathering in his word. And we're going to look at those goals together briefly this morning. 
Those goals are going to form our outline. And my hope is that as we go through this, that understanding this more clearly, my hope is that it will guard us from the, the danger of just coming to church as a passive spectator. That's not what God wants for any of us. And as we understand his will, it'll help us more fully engage and participate actively in worshiping God each week. That's what he desires. That's my hope for each of us as well. And so what are these biblical goals of gathering? It's exaltation, edification, and evangelism. We, we got these three E's from Matt Merker. He wrote a, a helpful book on corporate worship. And those three E's again, it's exaltation, edification, and evangelism. These are three clear goals from God's word for when his people gather. And while they're in the order of importance, they're all interconnected as well. So keep that in mind as we unpack them together. For our first main point, exaltation, listen to this amazing passage in 1 Peter 2 about the role of the church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's so much going on in this passage. It's so rich. But I want you to notice, what is the privilege that Christians have once they experience God's mercy? The privilege that we have is to proclaim the excellencies or the greatness or the perfections of the one who called us out of the darkness of sin and into his marvelous light. Human beings, we always praise or exult what we value the most. And since we were made in God's image to know and reflect him, praising God is at the very core of what we were created to do as human beings. Now, you might be asking yourself, why do you use the word exaltation instead of praise? And the reason is alliteration. We wanted an E instead of a P. But at the same time, this is a very appropriate word, and I want to prove that to you. The book of Psalms, I went through it, and I pulled out all of the, the references to God's people exalting him. So this doesn't include all the additional ones about praising him, singing to him, delighting in him, but that's just a, a list. And it's not even an exhaustive list of where God commands us and calls believers to exalt him. I'll give a couple of examples. Psalm 99 verse 9, it says, exalt the Lord our God, bow and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. This is one of the many places where God commands his people to exalt him. But he doesn't do this because he's insecure. God doesn't do this because he's egotistical. It would be wrong for me to demand praise or worship. I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy of that. You know, for Christmas this year, I didn't tell my kids, hey, kids, guess what? This year I'm giving you the gift of me. Every day you can sing songs to me about how awesome I am. I don't think that would go over very well with my kids. It would be wrong for me to demand praise or worship. But it would actually be wrong of God not to demand praise worship. It'd be wrong because he's worthy of it, and it would be unloving of him not to command our worship because he's the very best thing for us. Think about it this way. God commands our greatest exaltation because he desires our greatest satisfaction. God commands us to exalt him because he wants us to be satisfied in him. He knows that's where we'll find real life. As you read through the, the Psalms then, 
you see this call to, to worship him, but it's not just an individual call to worship him. It's also a command to worship him with other believers. Psalm 107 shows this. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Why do you think that God commands us to worship him corporately and not just individually? Well, Matthew 18, 20, it helps begin to answer that question. And in context, this is one of only two passages where Jesus explicitly talks about the church. And he closes that passage with this promise. He says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Last week, we saw how Jesus promised that we can experience God in a unique way when we seek him alone in prayer. And this verse, it shows that the same is true when believers gather publicly in faith to worship Christ. God is omnipresent, and so he's not confined in any temple. He's not confined in any church building like this one, and yet his presence can be experienced in a special way when we gather together as a church to worship him. What this means is that to have a healthy walk with God, you must have a private worship life where you study God's word individually and pray, but you also must have a public worship life where you join with God's people to worship him. In an ideal world, this time of public worship, it stokes and fuels our, our private worship throughout the week. Now, for example, think about Taylor Swift fans. Are they typically more passionate when singing their favorite T-Swift songs alone at home or when they're at one of her concerts with thousands of other Swifties? Where, where do they get more crazy? Where do they get more passionate? All things equal, it's easier for people to passionately enjoy their favorite artist's music when they're with other people who love that music as well. The things we love when we're around other people who love it, it, it increases our enjoyment of it. The same is, is true if you think about sports. If you claim to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan, but you can't get fired up to cheer them on at Arrowhead Stadium with over 70,000 other screaming fans dressed in red, then something's off. You know, your, your fanship needs to be questioned. Now, our church, it doesn't have thousands of people, but the same principle applies to our corporate worship of Christ. And an old Puritan pastor, he helpfully explains why. He says, the Lord engages himself to let forth, as it were, a stream of his comfortable, quickening presence to every particular person that fears him. This is an old Puritan way of talking about the Holy Spirit, how believers have the Holy Spirit, that, that we experience God, we enjoy God and know him personally. And he goes on and he says this, but when, these, but, but, but when many of these particulars join together to worship God, then these several streams are united and meet in one. So that the presence of God, which enjoyed in private, is a stream, in public becomes a river, a river that makes glad the city of God. I have a, a picture here of a, of a river, a big river with lots of different tributaries feeding into it. And this is God's desire for our corporate worship, that believers who individually love God and enjoy God come together, and that that love it's stirred up. It, it's, it's increased and enjoyed in a greater capacity together. It, it gives us a greater taste of heaven. And think about it this way. What is a better forecast and, and preview of what's to come? You worshiping God individually or when we're all together? As important as those individual times are, 
these times together, thinking about how we will be worshiping God around his throne. That, that gives us a greater preview, a greater taste of, of the glory of heaven. Now, my hope is that that's regularly ex- your experience in church. In my observation, the healthiest Christians are generally those who are most committed to and most excited about gathering to worship God with their spiritual family. It's those who don't view church as an obligation, but as a, a privilege, one that they look forward to. If you can't get excited about worshiping God along other people that love him, then it's very unlikely that you're going to be excited about worshiping him on your own. Now, in light of that, what are some of the ways that we seek to exalt God in our services? Well, every scheduled aspect of our service has a way of exalting God, but I want to just point out a few. First, our singing. God commands all his people to to worship him through song, regardless of gender or culture or personality type or or how expressive you are. And science, I think, has recently shed greater light into why this is so valuable. Countless studies have been done on the variety of health benefits that come from singing. For example, it, it helps lower your stress. Singing, it also uniquely engages your whole brain. This is one of the reasons why you might struggle to memorize verses in the Bible, but you can remember whole songs. Our brain, it's uniquely engaged. The different parts of our brain are are uniquely activated in singing. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so thankful for Sean and our other other worship leaders. They work hard to pick, pick songs that are rich in Christian truth about who God is and about salvation, about the Christian life. Because as we sing together, we are, we are reminding ourselves of the, the important truths of faith. The other thing that's amazing about singing, though, is that we're not just thinking about them kind of in a cold, detached way. Singing engages our emotions. Singing arguably engages your mental and your emotional faculties better than anything else. And so if you're like me, if you wish that your, emotion, your emotions more often aligned with the truth of God's word that you understand in your head, then one of the best things you can do is intentionally engage your soul by singing to him. Is that what you try and do when you come to church on Sunday mornings? Like when you're singing, do you direct your attention, the eyes of your heart to God? Now, often I, I like to picture God's throne room like it's described in Revelation 4 and 5, where God's throne, it's, it almost sounds like it's, it's exalted with a, a rainbow around it. It's resplendent with light. It's just beautiful. And God's people are all around it in awe of him, worshiping him with people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Do you picture the Lord? Do you direct your affections towards him? Do you remember, if you're a Christian, you are going, you are going to be there soon. You're going to be worshiping before him soon. I heard someone mention a while ago they were afraid that many people in our church didn't view the service as officially starting until the message began. So like the message, that's when the church really starts. And I hope that that's not how any of us think. You see, our songs each week, they're not a buffer for the sermon. They're a vital component that God in his wisdom has commanded his people to include when they worship him. And we're going to take... We're going to talk in a few minutes about how valuable our conversations with each other are each week. But in light of the emphasis God places on worshiping him in song, I'd encourage you to to make an effort to try and consistently be in this room and and ready to worship him when the sermon begins. Now, 
This is not to make you feel guilty if you're running a little bit late, if you have you know, kids or if you have a good conversation with someone. We're not going to put Manny out by the door as a bouncer to like kick you out if you're here a little bit late. That's not it at all. But just the idea is that our primary reason to get together as a church, the primary reason, it's to exalt God. And singing is a massive component of that, such an important component. So that's singing. Next, let's talk about the sermon. The sermon. So what we're doing right now, the message. This is not just a time for me to exalt the Lord. God, he desires each of you to be fully engaged in worshiping him through this time as well. Since scripture is where we get the clearest and most concrete picture of God and his glory through the person of Christ, our aim each week is to to preach Christ-centered expositional messages that clearly explain God's word in context so that you better understand what does God say. Not not my opinions, not what do I say, but what does God say? And to, to include how any given passage relates to Christ and the gospel. Now, I know that I'm not the most dynamic preacher in the world, but I also know I don't need to be. <laughs> I don't need to be because there's nothing more powerful in the, word, in the world than God's spirit working through his word. And my job as preaching, it, it's to ask God for help and then to, to try and explain and apply God's word as faithfully as I can, as accurately as I can. That's my job. But do you know that you have a job as well when I'm preaching? You have a job as well. And it's not to critique how entertaining the message is or how it made you feel. It's to seek to better understand God's word and to let him speak to you and change you through it. Think about Acts 17 and the Bereans. They heard the apostle Paul preaching to them. I can guarantee that the Apostle Paul is a better preacher than I'm ever going to be. And yet, they didn't just turn off their brains and accept whatever he said. God commends them because they gladly received the word. But then what did they do? They went back to the scriptures and examined if what Paul was saying was consistent with God's word. That's that's what we want for our church. We'd have a, a church filled with people who don't mindlessly take our word for it, but who love God's word individually. When we're preaching, I'd encourage you, have your Bible out. Maybe if you read on your phone, have your phone off or phone on. Maybe turn off the notifications. Notifications off, but have, have your phone out so you can follow along. You can see what, what does God say in his words? Is what we are saying, does it align with it? I'd encourage you, when I pray at the start of the message, you should pray as well. You should be asking God, speak to me. God, God, I, I want to understand you better. And I, I want you to change me. Now, that's one of your roles as well. The Bible says don't listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You have a responsibility to try, to try and understand God's word and how it applies in your specific circumstances. And so you don't want to passively sit and listen to the sermon. You want to engage your soul in it. Let me mention just one other aspect of our services that exalt God but are easy to overlook. And that's our meet and greet time. Our meet and greet time, I think often about this time in connection with with Paul's command in Romans 15. In that verse, he says, welcome one another just as Christ welcomed you to the glory of God. The word welcome here, it means to receive kindly or hospitably. And while this verse is not specifically referring to what we do, like a meet and greet time during the service, the same principle applies. When we warmly welcome others and seek to open our lives to them simply because of the grace that Christ has shown us. 
When we do that, we are glorifying him. We're showing people what God is like. 1 John 4.12 puts it this way. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This means that, that people can see the invisible God more clearly. They can understand who he is as Christians love one another. As we grow in our, our Christ-like love for each other, that means our relationships with one another as a church, it's one of the primary ways that we glorify and exalt God. And as kind of an aside, this is one of the reasons why streaming a service online, it can never adequately substitute for gathering in person with God's people over time. It can be a helpful supplement. It can be an occasional fill-in or, or it can help in extreme circumstances, but it should never replace in normal circumstances gathering with God's people in the flesh, in person. And that's because relationships with, with people that you actually look at and invest in and love, that's fundamental to what the church is supposed to be. And that's also fundamental to exalting God. Just like I'd encourage you to try and be here at the start of the service since our singing exalts God, I'd also encourage you to try and, and get here at least 10 to 15 minutes early and also take your time in leaving. And I'd encourage you to do that so that you can invest in, in your relationships with others here and grow in your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ because that's so important as well in exalting God. So our primary goal when we gather, it's exaltation. It's to exalt God. Our second goal is edification. Edification, this is our second main point. And that word, it comes from the Latin word that means to build or to strengthen. Ephesians 4, it includes a passage about how God has given each believer a different spiritual gift so that we can all mature and become more like Jesus as we use them. Paul, he ends that section saying, but speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. I love that last line. The church can only be healthy if everyone's growing in their love for one another and each person, they're embracing the role that God has for them. God's design for the church is brilliant because every believer needs the love and support of other believers in the local church. Every believer needs the love and support of other believers. No matter how strong a Christian may appear, they will be weak and immature without deep relationship with other believers. Paul actually just said that in the verse right before this, in verse 14. So no matter how strong someone may appear spiritually, they'll be weak without, without the support of other believers. And at the same time, no matter how insignificant any believer may appear to the world, no matter how insignificant you might feel as a believer about yourself, what the scriptures teach is that you're actually irreplaceable. You're irreplaceable. God, he has uniquely gifted you and he's uniquely placed you within the church. And for our church to be healthy, it has to grow as we grow in real love for one another and we each joyfully play the part that God has given us. Now, for those of you who aren't sure what your spiritual gift is, one of the best ways to find out is to begin serving wherever you see a need in the church that you can meet. There are dozens of specific roles that we have each weekend where volunteers serve that, that make our services possible. And if you're interested in any of those, you could talk to me, you could talk to someone here that you know. 
about potentially getting involved there. But apart from that, there are far more needs relationally and practically and spiritually week in and week out that different people have as they show up on Sunday mornings. And each one of us, we have a unique gift from God. We're uniquely positioned within the church to help meet those needs as we learn to love one another. The way I like to, to think about this is it's the difference between a consumer mindset and a Christ-like mindset towards church. A consumer mindset goes to church, and the, the way it evaluates church is simply, what, what do I get from this? And what, what do I get out of this? What are the benefits? Does it meet all my preferences? Is it, is it convenient? And those aren't inherently wrong questions. In fact, if you're at a, a healthy church, you should get benefits from being there, at least spiritually. But the catch is, if everyone has that mentality... If everyone has a consumer mindset, you can't have a healthy church. (laughs) You won't have a a healthy church because there's a different mindset that God calls us to. It's the Christ-like mindset. Perhaps the, the greatest tangible picture of this, apart from the cross, is the Lord Jesus the night before he died. Just hours before he would be abandoned by his closest followers, what did he do? He took on the humblest role in that society, the most demeaning role in that society, and he washed their feet, knowing that hours later they were going to desert him. They're going to abandon him. I love the way that Pastor Dan Rudis put this. He said, no one will mature spiritually until they make the jump from letting people wash their feet to being a foot washer. There has to be a jump where you go from just enjoying the benefits of showing up at church to seeing, oh, wait, God doesn't want me just to to show up to be served. God wants me to come and serve. Remember Jesus' mentality, his mindset? The son of God, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We can't give our life as a ransom for anyone, but, but we can come to serve and to give our life to edify many, to build up many. Let me show you one dramatic example of this Christ-like mentality from just last week at church. There's a, a single guy in my Bible study, and he's been under some pretty big financial strain recently, right now. Rent has gone up for him quite a bit. There's been some family things going on. And uh, so he was talking about that with a, another brother. Now, this brother uh, is in a different community group, married, has a family. And as they're talking, he just said, I, you can move in to my basement. Now, he needed to check with his wife still, but tentatively, he's like, hey, if this will help you financially, if it'll help you spiritually, you can move in to my basement. Now, is everyone in a position to do that? No. M- many, of you are, many of you are not. But it just reminded me that every Sunday when you show up, at, show up to church, we just don't know what opportunities there are going to be to love and, and to serve others in the faith. This is one of the, the things that honestly encourages me the most as a pastor about our church. It's the commitment that so many of you have to loving and supporting each other spiritually. You know, after the service, it's normal for people to stick around a long time, catching up on life. Often it's enjoying each other. Sometimes it's sharing, sharing each other's burdens. Sometimes it's swapping biblical counsel, like talking about jobs, talking about parenting. Other times it's praying for each other. Other times it's playing with friends' kids. Often it's sharing what, what, what you've been learning from God's word. As I see that, I'm so thankful because in a healthy church, 
The mindset isn't the pastor's do ministry. In a healthy church, according to Ephesians 4, the mindset is the pastors help equip the church by teaching God's word so that everyone does ministry. All the members minister to one another. Now, how does our service, how do the different things we do in our service give us opportunities to, to edify each other? Again, for the sake of time, I'm only going to, to mention two. And the first is, again, is singing. Singing, it doesn't just exalt God, but it's a way that we edify and build up each other. The New Testament, it commands believers multiple times to speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music in our heart to God. And there's no better place to do that than when we're together on Sunday mornings. Now, God intends my singing not just to stimulate my own spiritual growth, but also those around me. And if you're distracted and unengaged as we sing, you'll likely distract others and make it harder for them to be as fully engaged. But the opposite is also true. You know, the more genuinely and joyfully others around me sing to the Lord, the more that stirs my heart to join with them. The more our, our exalting God, the more we genuinely do that, the more it'll actually edify those around us. So that's singing. What about the sermon? Have you thought about this before? Like, how does the sermon help you to edify other believers? Hopefully the, the sermon, if you're a believer, hopefully it regularly edifies you, but how, how does it help you edify other believers? Well, I think this is a disconnect often that people have. God doesn't, again, want you to passively sit and receive information. If you're a Christian, God wants you to better understand God's word so that you can teach it to others. And not everyone uses, utilizes taking notes. That's not helpful for everyone. But I think each believer, they need to find a way. How, how can I internalize the message? And so we're going to start requiring members to memorize Shrine and I's messages each week. No, I'm just kidding. We're definitely not going to do that. But the, but the thought is, do you know how to internalize the key truths from the passage so that, that you could pass those on to someone you're trying to disciple? You know, you parents, that you could pass, pass that on to your kids. You know, one, one way that can help internalize truth and also edify other believers is to just ask the question after a church, what did you learn? You know, what stood out to you from God's word? That, that often opens up great spiritual conversations about what God's doing in someone's life. Now, all of us are, are to speak God's truth to each other. So that's not just for pastors to do. And so it doesn't have to be connected to the message. Often, if you want to have a, a deeper conversation with, with another Christian, you can just ask them, hey, what, what have you been reading in God's word? What's God been teaching you? I'd, I'd encourage all of you, as you come to church, to regularly pray about, what, what's a verse that I could share? One, one truth from God's word that's been having a big impact in my life. Maybe before or after church, or even during meet and greet, as you're talking to a believer, that you could pass on that encouragement. Now, everything that we do each Sunday, we want it first and foremost to exalt God, but we also want it to edify each other. Those are the, the two top biblical priorities for our church as we gather. But there's another important goal to mention as well. And this is our third main point, evangelism. Evangelism. Now, there are two big mistakes that churches make when it comes to evangelism. The first is to try and make the whole worship service cater primarily to unbelievers. So you don't want it to be offensive at all. You want it just to, just to be attractive and entertaining. And ironically, over time, this leads to, to less genuine, or this leads to less genuine salvations for a number of reasons. And so, so one error 
is you try to make everything cater primarily to unbelievers. The second error, though, is to not consider that there's non-Christians at church at all, to not consider unbelievers at all. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul assumes that unbelievers will regularly be present when the whole church gathers. And in verses 24 through 25, he instructs the church to seek to make sure that their worship is intelligible to outsiders, that people who come in, that, that they can understand God's truth because he knows if they do, they may be convicted by it and saved. They might actually come to know God. What this means for us practically is that we plan our services primarily with the goal of building up believers spiritually. But at the same time, we want to be a church that warmly welcomes non-Christians, that invites them in, rolls out the red carpet for visitors, and, and regularly presents the gospel in clear ways that the unchurched can easily understand. In other words, we're not a seeker-sensitive church, but we want to be a seeker-sensible a seeker church. Seeker-sensible churches, there's a whole movement of that that, that aimed primarily at, at non-Christians. Typically, it was afraid of, often it would lean towards avoiding biblical passages that might offend people. We're not a seeker-sensitive church, but we want to be seeker-sensible. We want to help make the gospel more and more clear to both the saved and the lost week in and week out. Once again, evangelism, it's not a ministry reserved for pastors, but it's one that the whole church plays a role in on Sunday mornings and, and throughout the week. Sunday services, in particular, in particular, they give an opportunity to invite neighbors and classmates and friends and family to come. And all of us can warmly welcome those who visit and take a genuine interest in their lives. And one of the things that encourages me on Sundays is as I'm out here seeing people's faces, I know that many of you, you came to church. Someone invited you. You showed up at church, and you didn't know the Lord. And one of the main things that God used to, to draw you in was just coming in and hearing God's word, but also seeing the love of the church, people loving you and connecting with you. And God used that to then draw you into a relationship with him. You see, often people are looking for very dramatic experiences from God, and God can do miracles. God still does miracles. But even when he does, no one matures into a deep relationship with God unless they embrace the ordinary spiritual disciplines that we've talked about last week and this week. There's no other path to spiritual maturity. There's no other path to a deep relationship with God than trusting the means that, that he has given us in his word. Now, here's the beautiful thing. <laughs> what most powerfully exalts God edifies believers and evangelizes the lost. So those three different components, what, what most powerfully accomplishes them? Well, in each case, the answer is the gospel. It's the gospel. The gospel message is that the holy, most highly exalted God of the universe who hates our sin and has to punish it to satisfy his justice, that same God, he loves us enough that he humbled himself and stepped into this world as a mortal man. He did that so he could die on the cross in our place, taking the punishment we deserve on himself and satisfying his justice. And after dying for us, he rose from the dead. And he did all of that so that he could forgive you and save you so that you can know him. While God is the most exalted being in the universe, he, it's, he has every right to command us to exalt him. It's loving for him to do that. Even though he's the most exalted being in the universe, he's also the humblest. 
He's also the humblest. And he promises that all who humble themselves, he will exalt to share in his glory. Remember what God promises? Humble yourself and I will exalt you. We do not have a vain and egotistical God, but a gracious and generous God who died to save us and died to share himself with us and satisfy us forever. And nothing will produce genuine desire to exalt God more than understanding the gospel. At the same time, nothing can edify or strengthen a fellow believer's heart more than the gospel of grace. We strengthen each other as we remind ourselves week after week and live out the reality in our relationships together that we're loved and accepted, not because of anything that we've done for God, but because of what God has done for us. We love because he first loved us, because Jesus initiated a loving relationship with us. Finally, nothing can save sinners except the gospel of grace. And this happens when, when people realize that Jesus had to die, not just for the sins of the whole world, but for them personally. Because that's the only way that their, that their sin could be paid for. People are saved when, when they realize they can only be made right with God. They can only be welcomed into a relationship with him now and in heaven through faith in Jesus' finished work for them on the cross. Each week as we gather, my hope is that we'll come with a greater and greater clarity on these goals and God's heart for us as we worship together and that we would grow in exalting God and in edifying fellow believers and evangelizing the lost as God gives us opportunity. To close quickly, one practical application for you is prepare your heart each week before before we gather. Prepare your heart each week before we gather because this time is so important. Now, God, he can work through our, our gathering to worship him over time in far bigger ways than we realize. But like all the spiritual disciplines, this grace, it doesn't automatically flow just because we go through the motions, just because of the activity. It only happens as we engage in it by faith, trusting in God's promises. Now, so many of you are incredible examples of all three of these, of exalting God and edifying each other, reaching out to, to visitors. And so many of you, I know you, you already prepare your heart each week. But if you don't, a couple of things that have helped me, I try on Sunday mornings or sometimes on Saturday to pray through our member directory. If you're a member, you can, if you're a member, this is on the, the Church Center app, but I, I like to pray through that. So I'm thinking about you guys ahead of time, thinking about what's going on in your life, thinking about potential ways that I could be an encouragement and just being reminded of how blessed I am with the church we're a part of. At a, at a minimum, what I do as I'm driving here with my kids is that I pray for our time together. And I let that prayer be shaped by these three goals. Praying that God would be exalted each morning, that believers would be built up, that I would help encourage the people I'm around spiritually, and that those who don't know the Lord as they come, that God would work in their hearts to reveal, reveal himself to them and draw, him, and draw them to himself. Let's go ahead and pray that, that God would be doing all those things this morning too. God, we thank you for your wisdom. God, we thank you that you don't want us to just mindlessly go through religious motions and activities. Thank you. You want us to know you. God, I thank you that nothing compares, nothing comes close in life to being as satisfying, being as satisfying as experiencing you. God, I pray that, that as we come together as a church, that our times would be more focused. They'd be more fruitful. God, that you'd help us to prepare our hearts and, and come ready 
to sing to you, ready to worship you and excited, not just to, to be blessed by others, but, but looking for how can we serve? What are the unique ways you've gifted us to, to build up the body of Christ? And God, I thank you that as we do those things, we'll just naturally be more and more attractive to those who come. They'll see the difference, God, that you make in people's lives when they know you. And so we do ask that if there are any who don't know you, God, that you would draw them. Help them see their need for a Savior even now. And we pray all this in your great name, Lord Jesus. Amen.